if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us as we get your day and your week, Christmas week to be precise, started at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. It is a Monday, the 21st morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2020. Coming up on the program today, it is Monday, and that means it is Jordan Day. Congressman Jim Jordan will be joining us at 948 on a host of issues relative to his work on Capitol Hill, his assistance in the state of Georgia, and, of course, his work in his fourth congressional district here in our glorious state. So Jim Jordan will be with us at uh, 948 this morning, and then at 1035 next hour, if you're still with us for the second hour, good for you. Um, we're going to be talking to Leo Homan. Uh, Leo Holman has the story on, in much more depth the, than I talked with Dr. Everett Piper this past Thursday about, and that is the Democrat, by way of the Biden-Harris transition team, plan to silence, to attack, literally, not physically, but to attack conservative Christianity and to force it into silence. It's not an exaggeration. This is a group called the Secular Democrats of America, backed by a group of congressional Democrats, so elected Democrats, touting a secular America by sending a 28-page document to the Biden-Harris transition team, advising them to strip First Amendment rights. you You didn't mishear that. I didn't misstate that. That's that's literal and legitimately what they say. To strip the First Amendment rights from Christians who advocate traditional biblical positions on things like the sanctity of life, marriage, education, and the nuclear family. Uh, if you heard our conversation, or my conversation, rather, with uh, Dr. Piper on Thursday, you got a little taste. But Leo Holman has written extensively about this at leoholman.com, investigative reporting uh, on this. And uh, we're going to talk to him about that at 1035. I mean, this is, if you are wondering what America will look like in a Biden-Harris or Harris-Biden America, particularly if there is no firewall in the uh, Senate, held by the Republicans, this is a taste, a small taste. Religious liberty, 
gone, killed, gutted. First Amendment rights to speaking on these things um, that may be based in your religion or in which your religion is based. Gone. You cannot do these things anymore. It's really remarkable. Their 28-page document called Restoring Constitutional Secularism and Patriotic Pluralism in the White House. Uh, it's incredible. Dr. Or excuse me, uh, Leo Holman will be joining us, like I said, at 1035. But where do we start this morning on this Monday? Well, there's uh, a couple of different options here, and I'm just going to kind of go with my gut here, and I want to talk about the uh, COVID relief bill. Uh, it has been agreed upon. Mitch McConnell made that announcement very, very, very early this morning, saying that it is essentially going to happen. Sorry about that. It is essentially going to happen uh, within the next few hours, that there will be a vote on it in the House first, it will pass, and then it will be voted on in the Senate. He's not getting disagreement at this point in time from uh, liberal Democratic leaders. So they have passed this stopgap bill to avoid a government shutdown, and then they are attaching this coronavirus relief deal to it. It's worth about $900 billion. It is much smaller than what the Democrats wanted. They wanted a $3 trillion behemoth. Uh, prior to this because they wanted to bail out all of their low-functioning and horrifically managed big cities and states. They wanted the federal government to pick up the tab to solve all of California's uh, and New York's and then big cities like Chicago's, uh, all of their own financial woes, which are of their own making. They wanted the federal government, meaning your federal tax dollars and mine, to pick up the tab. They didn't get it. At the end of the day, they're agreeing to about a $900 billion coronavirus relief package that will put about a $600 check into your hands by way of, technically not into your hands, but by way of direct deposit. So almost all Americans, particularly you know those not classified in the richest 1%, um, are going to get that $600 stimulus, similar to the $1,200 direct stimulus payment that you may have received earlier this year. And that's a good thing. It also establishes a temporary $300 per week supplemental jobless benefit uh, for those without uh, who are still uh, unable to go back to work. Uh, as I say, $600 direct stimulus payments to most Americans. There's also a new round of subsidies for hard-hit businesses, which is important, of course. It's not necessary, but that's what they've chosen. When I say they, I'm talking about the government. It's not necessary to give subsidies to businesses. What they could have done instead is, I don't know, allowed businesses to do business. Allow them to open their doors. Allow them to sell their wares, their products, and their services. Then they don't need federal subsidies. But because of the response to the Chinese coronavirus, and because of lockdowns, and because of all kinds of other completely unnecessary uh, draconian decisions, the businesses are suffering and dying. Here's the sad reality. This new round of subsidies for hard-hit businesses isn't going to help thousands and thousands of businesses that have already shut their doors for good. Ten months, 11 months, roughly, of either no revenue or minuscule revenue with tiny percentages of capacities allowed for customers in so many of these businesses have led to businesses closing forever. When your overhead stays the same, save for your employees' wages, 
But when your overhead, your rent or your lease on your building or your mortgage payment on your building, your supplies, your utilities, etc., etc., your your uh, inventory of your products, when all of those things stay the same, but your revenue generated is a tiny fraction because of the tiny fraction of the number of customers you are allowed to serve, these businesses aren't going to be saved by this stimulus. These businesses died. Not to be resurrected. Now, some are holding on by a thread, and this will help them, and I'm glad of that. But why do I bring up the negative part of this along with the positive part of this? And it is positive, again, that there are going to be subsidies for some of these businesses that have suffered so much. But I hit the negative because I want to remind everybody that this did not have to be. This bill that they have agreed upon now, this $900 billion, roughly, um, coronavirus relief bill, could have been done months ago. Months ago. There's nothing spectacular in it that was like, wow, what an 11th hour revelation. What a great idea this is. Look what we've done. Because we didn't do this back in September or October, because we waited until late December and almost the end of the calendar year, because we waited, look what what great benefit that we've created here. No, this could have been done months ago, and there was one reason and only one reason that it wasn't. Because Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, who could have let this bill, who could have negotiated in good faith and held votes on the floor and would have passed this thing months ago, hated and still hates Donald Trump. The woman who stood up behind Donald Trump and his wonderful State of the Union address and tore his speech in half, page by page by page, the vile, despicable, reprehensible, disgusting piece of vermin that is Nancy Pelosi specifically held up your Payments, your $600 direct uh, direct payment uh, in COVID relief. She allowed thousands of more businesses to suffer and die. The ones that have closed their doors for good. She allowed thousands of businesses to die because she hated Donald Trump that much. You remember when she said this, but right? What was then before was not more of this. This is, has simplicity. It's what we've had in our bills. It's for a shorter period of time. But that's okay now because we have a new president. On December 4th, and I, you may recall me doing a show, if you're a daily listener, you probably recall the... Uh, the anger that I, I think I shared on behalf of all of us um, for that statement. That, that admission was so startling. And I believe I said that this is disqualifying for her to not only be the Speaker of the House, but to be a member of the House. She should be forced to resign. She admitted that we can do a shorter bill now. We're willing to take a lesser deal now. We're willing to sign something now because we have a new president. Number one, she knew that politically speaking, getting a COVID relief package passed by the House and the Senate and signed by Donald Trump would give a modicum of, 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 of um, credit to the president, President Trump, for his role in it. 
She didn't want that to happen politically because she thought if the American people got some relief before the election and they saw the light at the end of the tunnel and Donald Trump's signature was on and she could already picture him signing in his big sharpie Donald Trump on his on his uh, on bills or orders you know he holds that uh, bifold uh, fold, you know uh, um, a binder up there and shows everybody and uh, she could already see that having a positive impact on the president and thus his reelection chances so from a political standpoint she did not want to have that happen and then there's from the personal standpoint. She does not believe in dealing with, working with, um, setting aside differences with, negotiating with Republicans. She's just that vile. She hates Donald Trump so much that from a person, there's a political part, which I mentioned, and now a personal part. So all of the stuff she would not agree to in a bipartisan bill to provide relief to American workers, families, and businesses, all of the things she would not agree to before because Donald Trump would get credit and or at least be a part of the process, she is agreeable to now because Joe Biden is going to be the president. It is partisan politics at its literal worst. Right? I mean, literally, not among the worst. I mean, it's about as egregious as it gets. I hated the other guy. We've got a new president coming in, so I'm willing to agree to these things on a shorter term now than I ever would have before because there's a new president. And that, first of all, well, not first of all, but additionally, that should tell you something else about the ongoing battle over the White House. Many people, myself included, believe that the Democrats would do anything to remove Orange Man Bad. Anything. Including and up to stealing the election by way of election fraud, ballot fraud, and voter fraud in multiple battleground states. How could they not? They literally see Donald Trump or saw Donald Trump as Hitlerian. They literally saw Donald Trump as just being the manifestation of evil and racism and white supremacy, etc., etc. Nancy Pelosi wouldn't even do something to benefit the American people if it involved shaking the hand, even proverbially, of Donald Trump. That's how bad it was. That's how we know, and again, this is just an add-on, that there's nothing they wouldn't have stooped to to get rid of him including cheating and stealing the election, which I believe is exactly what happened. Okay, we're just getting rolling. That's the start of the day. There is so much more more to get into. Again, guests Jim Jordan and Leo Holman, your phone calls welcome to it. 216-901-0945, Let's get on board on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 925, we continue on this Monday edition of The Authority. Uh, Really good news this morning, and I'm so glad to be able to share this one with you. You probably remember last month the president announcing something he was calling the 1776 Commission. The 1776 Commission was specifically being created in response to the 1619 Project, the fictional work of the New York Times that has been accepted for some strange reason, despite numerous, multiple legions of historians calling it false. 
calling it fictional, including many Democrats, including many liberals, believe it or not. The 1619 Project was the New York Times fantasy that the country was actually founded in 1619 when the first African slaves arrived in North America. And that was why this country was built, in order to save and protect and preserve the institution of slavery. Rather than founded in 1776, when we cast off the British crown, and almost immediately began the end of slavery. So it's it's a fictional work, and uh, the president has decided... You know what? Enough is enough. They're teaching our children this. They're going to ruin a generation of children into thinking that the country they were born into was stolen, that the country is evil, that the country is racist, that the country is inherently, uh, you know, uh, uh, negative or bad or evil. So he created the 1776 Commission, which is focused on how to get the right message of real, true American history, and yes, patriotic education back into the classrooms. So he announced that last month. That's not the news today. The news today is that the commission's members have been announced. There are 18 of them. The commission, the 1776 commission, is being chaired by Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College which gives me great pride and pleasure because my daughter is a sophomore at Hillsdale, but that's aside the point. But he is a perfect choice to lead this because he is an extraordinary constitutional historian. Uh, but he is the chair. Carol Swain is the vice chair. And like I said, there are 16 other members. I bring this to you not to list all 16 of them, but to tell you about one of them. Appointed to a second commission in the federal government by the President of the United States. He already sits on the United States Commission on Civil Rights, is one Peter N. Kersenow. Our friend and my regular weekly guest on this program, Peter Kersenow, is on this 1776 commission. So again, he's been appointed for, now he's the longest-serving member of the Civil Rights Commission, appointed to another term, a six-year term, on that commission by President Trump. He has now also been appointed to this commission, which will be an executive order, and this is important. This executive order by the president creating this commission, the 1776 commission, means it cannot just be blown up by the incoming president if that is what happens with Joe Biden. And this uh, commission will have one year to do its research and you know find its purpose, do its research, and come up with a report with the guidance on how to move forward as far as educating America's children about the, the true founding of this country, about its formation, about its principles, about its history, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very important, and it is, does not dissolve on January 20th if Joe Biden takes over. This is something that will have a year, and it cannot be undone unless there is proof of some sort of malfeasance or something of that nature in which the Attorney General and the DOJ could potentially recommend the disbanding of such a commission. But as it stands... Uh, this commission will last for one year, and it will at that time report uh, forward again. Uh, you know the uh, the goals and the the mission of educating our children in this country, particularly as it pertains to its founding and its history. So the 1776 commission, created by Donald Trump, and being staffed by, among others. Peter Kersenow, and of course, we'll have Pete on the program tomorrow to discuss that at length. All right, we'll get our news now, and on the flip side of that, right to your phone calls. Don't forget Jordan at 948, so uh, stay with us and dial us up right now on 1420 The Answer. Progressive Democrats. 
Please be aware, you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 936, we continue AM 1420, The Answer. I hold grudges, okay? Just, you should probably know that about me by now. I've been doing this show for about five years. I've been doing Cleveland radio for about 20 of them. Uh, combined through different stints, but uh, you probably know I hold grudges. I don't let things like this go. But what was then before was not more of this. This is, has simplicity. It's what we've had in our bills. It's for a shorter period of time, but that's okay now because we have a new president. That was December 4th, Nancy Pelosi admitting she sold out American citizens, she sold out American families, she sold out American businesses. We could have had this coronavirus bill that was finally agreed upon today done back in September, maybe even August. This could have been done, should have been done. How many thousands of businesses closed because this bill did not get done, because this agreement was not reached? They didn't get anything extra by waiting four months. Not at all. It's the same bill she admitted earlier this month. It's just that now she's willing to do it because we have a new president. She was willing to let politics and her own personal disdain for Donald Trump stop her from saving uh, businesses from, being, from going under and families from, from starving. I hold grudges. That's disqualifying. I will play that from now until the end of time, and she will never, ever live that down. It will be a part of her legacy forever. Let's just hope that her legacy begins sooner rather than later because she gets ousted as speaker. Let's go to uh, phone calls, 216-901-0945, We're going to go to Houston, Texas first. My good friend Will in Houston. Hey, Will, good to talk to you, my friend. How are you? Hey, hey, brother. How you doing, man? Real, real quick, uh, wrap, wrap, your, wrap your brain around this for a second. Okay. Now, we hear all the time the left, the media tells us all they want us to believe that uh, uh, minorities, black, brown, whatever, are quote-unquote disproportionately affected by COVID, disproportionately affected by poverty. So you mean to tell me this lady admitted out of her own mouth that she's, she was playing politics? I, I hope you have some, some leftists that's listening to your show because I, I want them to understand the media – the media and nobody is holding this lady's feet to the fire that she was playing politics with people's lives. She was playing politics with people's health. And, and this, this stuff could have been done months ago. They, and this, and this shows you, Bob. This shows, this, they don't care about you. You, you. you are a pawn to them. You, 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 I mean, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, this disproportionately affects these people, blah, blah, blah. But then at the same time, you come back around and say, well, yeah, I was playing politics, but, you know, because because Orange Man bad. Are you serious? If, if this woman had an R behind her name, man, and, and, and admitted some crap like this and said she was, and admitted she was playing because, because she didn't want Obama to get the win, do you realize stuff would be on fire right now? <laughs> do you realize? I, uh, I got to tell you, man. man? He, uh, well, I I did not. No, no, no I, I did not. I'm sorry. Make that connection. No, don't be sorry. You. That's. <laughs> I, I mean, I I have been complaining about, about what she did 
I, I've been complaining about what she did to American families. I've been claim, complaining what, about what she did by admitting that she held this up because of who the president was to American businesses. But you mm-hmm. just made a connection that I, I didn't make, and that is you're correct. They say over and over and over again that African Americans and ethnic minorities are at greater risk to coronavirus. They and, and, and poverty. And, 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 and poverty. And she held up a bill that would have provided relief for both of those things to, you, to everybody, but then because of what you just said, obviously, uh, specifically and disproportionately to African Americans. So, in other words, Nancy Pelosi let, uh, let African Americans die, Americans, yes. African Americans sink further into poverty, lose more of their yes. jobs, and all the other things, uh, that we yes. hear about. So, no, I never really thought about it from that standpoint. You're a thousand percent right. And the media says nothing. Nothing. The media says nothing. If this, I, I, again, I'm going to say this and I'm going to let you go. Imagine if this woman had an R behind her name <laughs> and basically said, I don't want to let this go through because I don't want Obama to get the win. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, can't fathom you, it. You hit the, huh? No, I said you can't even fathom it. You can't even fathom it, man. Can't even. I, I, I'm. <laughs> okay, dude, I'm, I'm listening. I, I just had to get that off my chest. Good, I'm, good I'm glad you, you called, brother. Hey, if I don't talk to you again before the holiday, Merry Christmas, Will. You too, man. All right. You got it. That's Will in Houston, Texas. Uh, uh, really good man. He's listened to me uh, for years and, and called me on all my national shows that I fill in for and so forth. He uh, reaches out even in here in the Cleveland uh, once in a while. Uh, and, and he's right, by the way. Th- that is so true. I have just been focusing on, quote-unquote, all Americans because... Quite honestly, that's what we're supposed to do. Not in woke 2020, but we're supposed to just see people as people. Americans are just all Americans, right? I mean, but to the left, no, we have to do identity politics. We have to hyphenate all Americans and say, yeah, COVID is terrible for everybody, but it's worse for this group or that group because it's what they do for everything. Policing is supposed to be the same for everybody. It's not. It's worse. You know how, how it goes. So since the left makes that distinction, that African Americans are more disproportionately affected by poverty and by the coronavirus, one would think then that Nancy Pelosi, the champion of the Democrat Party and thus the champion of minority groups, would be doing everything she can to provide relief for African Americans from the effects of the coronavirus and of poverty. Instead, she admitted holding it up because she hates the president. In other words, she hates orange man more than she likes brown man. That's that's basically what Will just pointed out, and he's right, and she is that much more despicable as a result. Great phone call. Let me squeeze Jan in Cleveland, or Greater Cleveland, in uh, before we get to uh, Congressman Jim Jordan here in a couple of minutes. Uh, Jan, go right ahead. Hello, Jan. Right with all was right with the world. Uh, I don't know why you're upset because, after all, Nancy showed us her expensive re- refrigerator full of her favorite <laughs> chocolate ice cream and you know wasn't yeah. that enough to make make everyone happy who worship yeah, for some Democrat. reason for some reason i for some reason as businesses remained closed and as uh, people remained on unemployment and as people weren't allowed to go to their churches stuffing her pompous and her gourmet ice, ice cream is uh, did, didn't do a lot didn't do a lot for me. people thank you <laughs> no she doesn't Thank you. You know what? She's yeah. Thank you for the phone call. Let uh, you know the old uh, let them eat cake. Uh, Nancy Pelosi. Let her eat her ice cream while the rest of America suffers. 
Uh, thank you, uh, Jan, for the great call. Uh, great stuff by Will as well. We'll get more phone calls coming up uh, in a bit. But next, it's Congressman Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 948, as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer, and as promised, it is time for Congressman Jim Jordan for his regular Monday visit just a few days before Christmas, so let me beat you to it. Merry Christmas, Congressman Jordan. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Yes, sir. Thank you. And all your so, listeners. And all, your listeners. And, all of our, and all Americans who need blessings yeah. at this time of the year. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you, are, you know... I know you're working hard, and and you, but you you're experiencing, in addition to being an elected official, you're experiencing all of the same trials and travails that the rest of us are, and we've all had memes about 2020. Uh, are, are you excited about the end of this year? Do you think things will change magically, January one, January two? Uh, now that 2020 would be in the rearview mirror. Well, I hope. I mean, I I, I love the piece that the uh, the medical doctor and the uh, PhD in economics from from Stanford put out, I, 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 I don't know, I'm not sure I pronounced his name wrong, but Dr. Bhattacharya, I believe is how it's pronounced, or something close to that. And he says, you know, with this vaccine, he, he said, A, we should be back to normal now, <clears throat> but certainly by the end of January, he said, you know, there are roughly 50 million Americans, older Americans, they get the vaccine. He said, there's no reason why we should not return to complete normal. So let's hope that that's what's going to happen ASAP, and we can stop this crazy lockdown. You see, where like a third of businesses in so many states are just gone. They've just they've, they've just been put out of business by government, and um, so let's hope it, it, it improves. But you know, we're Americans, so I always I'm always optimistic. In spite of government, uh, we got great people, great country, and we're, I think we'll be fine moving forward. Yeah, there, there's uh, there's something to that, um, and we'll get to the relief package here in a second to talk about that aspect of it, um, but. We we keep hearing a lot of the most prominent physicians, the Stanford doctor you're talking about, notwithstanding here, um, saying that by the way, this uh, this vaccine is going to prevent you from getting symptoms of being sick, but it won't necessarily either one of them, uh, Moderna or Pfizer, won't necessarily stop you from becoming infected. You just won't get all the symptoms. You just won't feel sick. You might still get it, and thus you might also still transmit it. So even after you get vaccinated, you're going to have to wear masks for another year. That's what a lot of them are saying and and i'm telling you what i don't think this country will stand for it they're not and right now you got you got restaurant owners in san diego who aren't standing for it you got restaurant owners in 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 new york on standing for it you got all kinds of folks in our great state who are tired of this this idea that got you know i i've said this a couple weeks ago i think we said it on the show um the government's telling you when you have to be in your home when you can leave your home i mean think about that in our great state in in america so you know in ohio they say you got to be in your home at 10 in pennsylvania i think you know, when you're in your home, you have to wear a mask. Uh, in Vermont, when you're in your home, you don't have, a wear, have to wear a mask because you're not allowed to have friends over to your house. This is what kind of this craziness. And then, of course, the very people who tell you what you have to do, what you can't do, and put the curfews and the restrictions on you and your business and your family, they don't follow it. So Americans have rightly, I think, had it with that, and, and they're not going to take it uh, any longer. And I think that is a, you know, that's, that's just part of being American. But, this, but again, the science is on our side. If you read, if you read what, what uh, Dr. Bhattacharya says, it, it is like, let's get back to normal. Let's quit destroying livelihoods, destroying businesses. And, and, and when it comes to a stimulus package, as we said the last week, the best stimulus is the job. The best stimulus is to let people go back to work. 
I totally agree. And, and in fact, let, let's talk about this now, about the best stimulus here, and that is this, you know, uh, the $900, $900 billion uh, agreement apparently has been made between the two uh, sides. Uh, it's going to be voted on by you guys later today. I don't know if you have a time yet. Uh, and then the Senate, Mitch McConnell says... We've seen the bill yet. You haven't yeah. seen it yet, okay? But I understand from what from what Mitch McConnell said, it's going to be voted upon in a matter of hours. So you're going to. Right. In fact, I right. also heard Speaker Gingrich talking about this this morning on television, saying, you know, most of the rank and file are going to be kind of blindsided here. You're going to be forced to cast a vote on something you haven't read all the way through because you just don't have time to. You know, we've seen this kind right. of thing happen before, but you're going to kind of have this rammed down your throat, and you're going to vote for it or you're not based on what your best guess is going to be. But what I want to ask you about, Congressman Jordan, is about the timing of this. We heard, and I've been playing over and over again, Nancy Pelosi from December 4th, in which she said, yes, uh, it is okay to accept this agreement now without all of the, you know, they wanted a $3 trillion package before. They wanted all of their big blue states and big blue cities that have mismanaged their own funds for decades bailed out by this. Um, And she's accepting this now, something she wouldn't accept before because we have a new president. What I want to know is how many thousands, how many tens of, how many hundreds of thousands of Americans suffered since, you know, September, October, November, December, when this could have been done, but she wasn't going to do it at a time in which the old president, meaning the existing president, would get any credit for it. How many people lost their jobs? How many businesses closed forever because she wouldn't agree to a package then that she'll agree to now that Joe Biden is incoming? Well, probably. I mean, again, a lot of a lot of data shows about a third of the businesses have, have, have in many states are no longer in business. So you're right. She started with three trillion. The president. There was a deal that 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 the president was willing to do back before the election for one point eight trillion, and today she's taken half of that, nine hundred billion, and it's yeah. still got a bunch of baloney in it. Still got like green new deal stuff, climate crisis stuff. It's still got three point three billion for some global health initiative, whatever that means. So it, 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 while there's some good things in there for for small business owners in the PPP program. It's still got a bunch of garbage in it, but she could have had twice that and probably even more garbage back before the election, but she wasn't willing to do it for politics, which just underscores what we've been saying. So much of this is political. It is all driven by politics instead of what's good for the country, what's good for small business owners, what's good for communities. And we know it's driven by politics because the very people who put in the ridiculous dictates and the ridiculous edicts, they don't follow the things that they put in place. Obviously. And we've seen that happen time and time again, examples of that. We're talking to Congressman Jim Jordan. As it pertains to Pelosi, I almost see it as disqualifying, her admission that we're only going to do this now because there's a new president, meaning we did not want the last president prior to the election to get any credit for this. I don't want to deal with them. Remember, this is the woman who stood up after the State of the Union address and tore that State of the Union speech up in front of the cameras. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. not just political with her, it's personal with her, and her own yeah. personal disdain and disgust for the president has led a lot of Americans to be in a lot worse shape than they were before because of this. I feel like not only should she lose her speakership, she ought to be, you know, uh, in my opinion, she ought to be forced to resign from Congress if she's willing to do such a thing. Yeah, it's terrible that 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 everything is driven by politics. And as you point out, Bob, they they, they then go personally at the president. Like, if you look at the stories now, the things they're writing about this president, it's like, it's unbelievable. After the amazing four years, the amazing term he had, um, getting done what he said he would do, and we've been through the, 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 just all the accomplishments. I, I said, this president's done more of what he said he'd do than any president in my lifetime. He's been a tremendous president, but they just cannot stop attacking him. And the idea that, that they do it all for politics, this whole thing with the mail-in voting, 
was all for politics. They saw COVID as an opportunity to go to mail-in voting, as an opportunity to, to change the way we do elections in this country, to screw up how we do elections in this country. And they saw that as their ticket to, to, uh, to, to go after the president. And that's exactly what they implemented. And it's unfortunate for the nation. No question about it. Let, let's talk about, uh, since we're talking about this president and things they have done to him, <laughs> many of us still believe that what they have done to him, worst of all, worse than the Russia hoax, worse than the impeachment, is they have stolen re-election from him. What are your plans or your hopes for January 6th? I want a debate. The, the country, a, a debate would serve the country well on the House floor, and in order to get a debate, you have to have at least one member of the House and one member of the Senate object to the certification of electors from, from one of the states. And I think the states that make the most sense to object to, if there's going to be an objection, which I hope there is, are Georgia, Pennsylvania, and, and Wisconsin. Because in each of those states, you can point to the fact that the U.S. Constitution is very clear. State legislatures set the time, manner, and place of election. And in each of those states, there was an entity outside the state legislature who determined the time, manner, and place of elections, namely the Secretary of State and or in some situations the governor and the state, their, their, their respective state Supreme Courts. So I think those are the states you argue that this was not done in a way that was consistent with the United States. For example, in Dane County, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to school, uh, they put drop boxes out. There was nothing in the, that the legislature passed that said you can put drop boxes out in one county of the state. It happened to be a big Democrat county, second largest county in in in, uh, in, in the state of Wisconsin, uh, for, for people to put to put their ballots in. That's just a recipe for disaster. And but they did it. So that's just one example. You have the same kind of city. You have other, similar situations in Pennsylvania and Georgia where where things were done. In, in Georgia, the Secretary of State enter, enters into a consent decree with Stacey Abrams' organization, goes outside the legislature to do that. So I think there, the, the country needs to hear the debate because they haven't heard it yet. No one, none of the mainstream press followed these hearings that were had in these states um, over the last several weeks. So I think I think it's important to have that debate on January sixth. Um, what about the legal challenges? Any thoughts on uh, going to the Supreme Court? I understand now there's going to be filed in the Supreme Court over uh, the to invalidate the result in Pennsylvania. Uh, we know they kicked the last time because they said Texas didn't yeah. have a standing to sue, but now this is actually the Trump legal team filing a suit here. Is this going to is yep. this going to be heard? Do you think? I don't know. I mean, look, um, courts have been reluctant as we as we've seen here over the last uh, six eight weeks. Been reluctant to take these cases, uh, and and when they don't take the case, you don't really ever get to hear the evidence, and you don't get to really have the the, the, the witness come forward who signed affidavits, who then is in a, in a case where the, the witness is testifying, there's cross-examination, all the things that we expect where, that, that help us get to the truth that we see in congressional hearings, that you see in a, in a, in a courtroom trial. You never get to that, that stage because most of these courts have, have, have not even accepted the case on standing grounds or other grounds. And so that's, that's what's difficult. Uh, we'll see how, how, how it plays out. But the founders, in their wisdom, they designed a system where, in the end, the United States Congress has the final say. Um, and it was Justice Ginsburg who said, Dr. In Bush v. Gore, that the ultimate date of significance is the 6th of January when the Congress meets to certify the electors from the Electoral College. So that date's coming. And as I just said, I think it's incumbent upon us to have the debate on the House floor. Let the country see it. As you point out, Bob, 60 million Americans, over 60 million Americans think this election was stolen. That is not a healthy situation. No. So for that reason alone, let's have the debate.
Yeah, 47% in that Rasmussen survey, uh, 70% roughly of the Republicans and, and 30-some percent of Democrats uh, believe that it was indeed, uh, there was enough uh, fraud to have changed the result of the election. Last thing before you go, yeah. Congressman, it's a little bit off the beaten path, but I was so glad to see this over the weekend. Uh, President Trump in the White House announced the 18 members of a new commission. It's the 1776 commission that was announced oh, yeah. last month. And the importance of this, or let me ask you about the importance of this, uh, and, and this is really a direct response to curriculum that is being presented in schools at every level, really, of schools across this country right now, right now, based on the fictional 1619 project put out a year and a half or so ago by the New York Times, claiming that York the Times, United yeah. States was founded in 1619 when the first slaves arrived in North America. Um, so the 1776 Commission is something the president is doing that, uh, by the way, includes our own Peter Kersenow on that commission. How important is this? It's critically important because the 1619 version of history, history is, is the one that says America is bad. The 1776 version of history, the truth, is the one that says America is good. And that is the fundamental distinction right now in our culture. The people on the left think our nation is bad. You and I know that those guys in 1776 who launched this experiment, Liberty, understood that this nation, while not perfect, is the best country ever built on the best system ever designed by people. So that is what's at stake here. This is critically important long-term for our nation, that we, we better understand the 1776 model is the one that makes sense. It's the truth, and it's the only thing that works. You cannot have a country that hates itself, which is what the left wants to do. You have to have a country that understands America is good, not perfect, but the greatest nation ever. That is what's at stake here. And so I am so glad the president's doing this and recognizing a fundamental concern that we have to address if we're going to continue to be the greatest country on earth. Yeah, that commission has a one-year um, uh, charge to come up with a way to educate our children, and it cannot, because it's an executive order, it's something that cannot just be disbanded immediately by uh, any incoming administration that may take over. And I'll phrase it that way because I'm with you on, on January 6th. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you so much for your insight, your wisdom, your hard work this year. Well, I'm going to get you one more time before New Year, so I won't get into all of that yet. Yeah. But I will, yeah. wish you, I will wish you again a very Merry Christmas yeah, to you and your too. family, and thank you so much. Same, same to you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. All right, that's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah, we'll have him one more time before the year is out. We'll have him next Monday. Uh, so we'll talk about the New Year stuff then. For now, we'll talk about the news. Then we'll come back to your phone calls at 216-901-0945 on AM 1420, The Answer.